You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Hey mentors, just a reminder about the You Can Mentor book. It's titled You Can Mentor, How to Impact Your Community, Fulfill the Great Commission and Break Generational Curses. The whole point of this book is to equip and encourage mentors with new tools and ideas on how to make the most of their mentor-mentee relationship. If you're a mentor, hey, go pick it up. And if you're a mentoring organization, pick some up for all of your mentors. If you would like to order mass copies, like more than 20, send an email to me, zach at youcanmentor.com, and we will get you guys a special price. But go and pick up that book. It's good. You Can Mentor. Welcome, You Can Mentor listeners. This is John. Today, we have a really special episode. As I sit down with my friend, Craig Cunningham, author Craig Cunningham. Hello, Craig. Hey, how's it going? It is good. I'm going to move this microphone over just a little bit, and it might creak, so... Don't run off. (laughs) Well, listen, we're sitting here in Waco, where we both live, and this is exciting. You're here in the middleman shop, and I'm just looking forward to talking to you about this book. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. One Night in a Thousand Years. Yes. Now, this is your latest book. It's not your only book, right? (laughs) It's not my only book. It's it's the book that I'm most willing to talk about, because I feel like it's the most most commercial and the most accessible book that I've done. Mm -hmm. A lot of the stuff I do is kind of... I don't want to say weird. It's not weird, but it's not. It's not. It's not meant for a, a broad commercial audience. Are you saying that this is your mainstream <laughs> this title? Is, this is my mainstream title. How, how long have you been working on this book? I think I probably wrote the first words of that book. I would say probably seven years ago. Okay. No, that doesn't mean I've been working on it for seven years. You've been living it though. <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's been in my head for a long time. I've wanted to tell this story for a really long time, and 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 part of the question part of those seven years was like, how do I, how do I want to tell this story? I've done a lot of creative projects over the years. So it was thinking through like, okay, is this, does, does this story work best as a script? And I try to raise money and try to make it into a movie, like an indie thing. Does it work best as a nonfiction kind of overview of what this, what this year was or where I finally landed is like, no, I think my, my sweet spot is fiction. That's what I do best. That's where I'm most comfortable. And so I decided to tell the story in that way as a fiction coming of age novel. I'm really glad that you did. Okay. For you to say that coming of age is yeah. really the term I was looking for. So that's, that's good. I listen, I didn't want to call it that. Really? Yeah. I, I want, but I wanted you to call it that. And then for me to be saying, okay, good. I can. Yeah, no, I, that's it. That's, that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's about a 17 year old kid who's, I mean, it, it's a lot about that transition from boyhood to manhood, you know, what, what that means and, and what that year means. That's, that's at the core of the book. So in a true sense, it's a coming of age novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to go in a little bit more detail. There's a lot of just really good stuff to pull from this. I've gotten the chance to read the manuscript of this book, okay? So you were one of the first. See, that's it was like a humble brag <laughs> when I was able to say that. Right. Yeah. You, I mean, truly, you were one of the... I, I probably When I finished it in a, in a way that I felt like, okay, this is, this is what the book is and it's done. You and I would say probably three to four other people at that point mm-hmm. had read that version of the manuscript. And awesome. that, was, that was, I don't know, a, a while back, but... 
And because I don't remember anything, yeah. barely my kids' names sometimes, when you handed me this, when I, when I came home to find this book in my, in my mailbox, right. I was like, oh man, bound and you know complete with cover art and everything. I got so excited because rereading it now is like reading it for the first time in many ways. And so halfway through it, I'm excited to continue to, to read through it, of course. But you know, even before we get into this, one night in a thousand years, Craig, let's just kind of take a step back. So... Craig Cunningham from Waco, Baylor University, right? Yeah. Graduate. And then, you, you know, career-wise, was working for Baylor really kind of how you started this thing? Is that most no, notable? No. I, I mean, when I was at Baylor, I, and we can talk about the kind of what started this story mm -hmm. in the book itself, but when I was at Baylor, I was I was 100% into writing. I mean, I wanted to be a writer. My, my dream was to write the great American novel, to walk into a Barnes & Noble and see my book on the octagon in the front you know, with the, with the bestsellers. Like that was, that was what I was working towards and what I thought I could, it sounds like a dumb dream now to say that. Like, I don't have that dream anymore, but, but back then that was my dream. Sure. And so even when I was at Baylor, I was like, I didn't do fraternity. I wasn't, I wasn't involved in a ton of extracurricular stuff. I was truly writing the whole time I was there. So I wrote, you know, stuff that is really bad, you know, look in, in retrospect, it's like, wow, that's, that was pretty terrible, but I was writing the whole time. And so I wanted to make a living as a writer coming out of Baylor, that was my whole dream. It was like, if I can make a living as a writer, I feel like I've made it, whatever that is. And so I was, my plan was to teach, be a teacher, an English teacher, and then write all summer and create projects and just have that cycle. But I got, I wound up getting a job as a writer coming out. And so that kind of kickstarted this whole deal where I was freelancing, I was writing, I was in it, in it just snowball from there. So okay. I got, got started, started writing scripts for commercials, things like that, moved to Austin, did the true freelance life for a really long time. And in that whole process, I'm writing creative projects as well. Okay. So starting, starving artist stuff. Yeah. Before you kind of landed back, came back home at, at Baylor, correct? Yeah. So w lived in Austin for a long time, yeah. got, got into the film industry down there, worked a lot in film, still, still writing books on the side that no one's reading or, and I'm not really publishing. I'm just kind of building these projects out. And then came back to a job as the editor-in-chief of the Beta Line magazine. And then that was around the time when I really started taking this book seriously and, and deciding that I'm going to finish this thing. Gotcha. Okay. And then got to work for a local organization, got some cool success there. And now you're, you're actually working in the local church. You're, yes. you're doing, you're a director of media and you told me this earlier with it's a title a, and yet I, I gotta remember it too. important. I got to remember it too. I think it's, I think it's creative and communications or okay. communications and creative. Yeah. One of the two. That's awesome. So it's, it's written stuff. It's, it's video. It's, it's really communicating so many, in so many different ways. Yeah. So it's, many different it's things. Story, it's half story, which is a lot of, a lot of the video side of it is a lot of the story part. And then the other half is communication. So kind of traditional ways of, of talking to people, websites, text messages, yeah. emails, that you know, kind of thing. I think about the, the, the artist that works at a church and their title is just storyteller. Uh -huh. And man, that can look like a whole lot of different things, right? I mean, there's a guy who may, who, who may not even wear shoes to the office, right? <laughs> just like yeah. a free spirit. Hey man, what, what story have you got for me today, Jimmy? Yeah. I'm not really that. I mean, as a, I think I'm, I think I am slightly unique as a creative because you think of a creative person and it's that image. It's like free spirit. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, you know, you can't keep them in a box. They're out there. Like, that's not me. I have, I have got a, I've got a very sort of ordered, I don't want to say an ordered life, but my, my brain doesn't work like that. I mean, I like, I like order. I like creating on schedules. I like, I like the box. I like being really creative within the box that I have for myself. Okay. So 
You can mentor a listener. This is where I say it was important for me to have Craig on this podcast so that we can kind of pull some truth and, and get some inspiration from his example. But I need to also warn you guys, Craig is the most prolific writer that I've ever known in my life. So, <laughs> so whenever I say, hey, you can do this, you know, you, you, I mean, obviously this thing is called You Can Mentor. And, and the last thing I'm going to say into this microphone today, Craig, is you can mentor because we're constantly reminding these wonderful people that, that they've, got the, they've got the drive and the, and the tools and the Lord is with them. And so what I also say is, hey, you can write, you can do this. But again, not everybody, not everybody is, has, the, has the, you know, cut their teeth so many years ago on and and really has has been as prolific really as you are but tell me now because i i think i remember how how you you get up pretty early in the morning and, and you i get spend up early yeah I have, I have two kids and so for a long before kids writing was kind of easy you could do it whenever you wanted you know you it, work comes to an end and it's like tell your wife i'm gonna write this evening and and you can kind of find time here and there and what i was finding was with kids and just family and and the commitment that I had and that I wanted to make to them, it just wasn't work. I couldn't, I couldn't reach the level of writing I wanted to do and be a really good dad and a really good husband and be present. And so I, I was like, I look, had to look at my day and think, where is margin? And the only margin is before everyone wakes up. And so, you know, this is probably at this point, four to five years ago, I just built that habit where I get up at, I get up at, if I'm on a project, which I typically am, 5.30, I'm in my office and I work until about 7.15 and then kind of jump in and help get kids fed and out the door for school and all that stuff. But in that, I, don't, I, I, take, I typically take one day off. So I work six days a week like that, an hour and 45 minutes of writing a day. And the, uh, yeah, the, the volume that has come out of that is actually becoming a problem for me. <laughs> like truly, <laughs> like because, it, because that much time compounded over you know, all these years, you like you wind up with a lot of material, mm -hmm. and so that has that has been the case for me, where I wind up with all this stuff, and it's like, well, now what do I do with this? You know, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. That's like the maybe that's a good problem to solve, but that that is my kind of daily habit. But you've published. I mean, yeah. you've you've self published. Yes, and that is another thing that I really want our listener to, to grab hold of to say, hey, you know, gosh, the breakdown is going to be well. Yeah, I feel inspired to write, and and yeah, I'm practicing writing. I'm 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 benefiting from that, whether it's my time with the Lord or whether it's just being able to be creative and put words on the page. If it's fiction, I mean, goodness, if it's, if it's history or if it's resources for, for mentees, whatever it might be, then I think often as I did, I just kind of thought, well, gosh, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to go to some vanity publisher who it's going to be too expensive or I'm not going to know how this thing should kind of look aesthetically or, or mm -hmm. what you, my friend, I mean, you never let any of that get in your way from being no. able to. So I have, I have a comp, I have a, company called Canawan. It's the earliest form of my name, Cunningham, okay. that I could find. And so I saw that word at one point. And I was like, that's kind of a cool word to, that'll be my company name, Canawan. And so I found that, built that out. And so it, when I was in Austin, that was our company. We did a lot of production through that. I just kept it with me. And so now I just use that as a creative company. So any, any kind of creative project I do or want to do, I just have this kind of long-term vision that it's going to work out somehow. You know, so I, I publish everything through Canawan. If I do, if I make a short film, it would be through Canawan. If I if I wanted to make a clothing line, mm -hmm. which I don't, but if I did, it would be through Canawan. I just do all my creative work through that. And so the, and, and with books specifically, uh, I kind of, I kind of draw a line between projects like this, One Night in a Thousand Years, which is, which I have, I believe is a broad audience and could, and it's nice to hold in your hands. Like I, I separated that as something different than a collection of short stories that I don't think 
warrants the same amount of kind of a long-term vision. And so I'll do that just as an ebook. And that has, that has freed my mind a lot where it's like, okay, I want to do this creative. I want to do a 30 page story and I don't want to, I don't want to have to make it into a, a published book. I can make it into an ebook though. And it's pretty easy to kind of just go. And so, you know, for your listeners that want to create resources and it's like, well, it's a 50 page document, but I, but that, that's not big enough to be an actual book. Well, it's like, you can make an ebook tomorrow. Like you can turn that into, you can create a, a cover or hire someone fairly cheaply to do it and have that up on Amazon literally in 24 hours. No kidding. So like that, that, that has been a big shift too, is like these tools have changed over the last, obviously they've changed a lot over the last 15 years since I've been writing really seriously. And so I've, I've like embraced it and, th- and I'm thinking long-term build these digital products or these digital projects, I should say, and just let it play out. Like, we'll see where it goes. I can, I can manipulate them later. I can redo them later. I can multiply the content within them later. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think big picture long-term. For sure. Well, let's talk some about this book. This book, I don't want to compare. You know, again, you already coined a phrase that I thought was good, that we needed to hear that, a coming, a coming of age story. This book to me is, is Days and Confused. And it's like Dead Poets Society. Yeah. And it's like John Hughes' script. Is that, is, is that okay Dude, me saying that's, that? It's really funny because at one point I wanted to publish this book traditionally. So get an agent, sell it to a publisher. In my query letter, which I, which there's a whole story behind that that I, I won't bore everyone with, but it, it, it basically I got a great agent and it was too secular for the Christian market and too Christian for the secular market. Mm-hmm. And so there was never a real home for it. But in my query letter, those were the two projects that I mentioned. It's like this book is is, is like if Dead Poet Society and Days and Confused yeah. were mixed together. Totally, 100%. And that's what's cool about that too, is that that's not the stretch. You know, it's not like, well, okay, I kind of see it. I mean, you just do like the things that are, and also I think what's good about it, the things that are kind of charming about those projects or that make you, you know, get excited about them. I, I hear that in the language of these characters. Yeah. And so that's a really interesting thing to say, like, hey, it's just too far in the other direction yeah. from, for both camps. It's, it reminds me of Rich Mullins. It's like the switchfoot of books. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I think they're talking about this, but they... But maybe they're not. And, it, you know, but then I hear this song and I'm pretty sure that they are. It's like, it's kind of like that. Exactly like that. Yeah. So Rich would say, you know, for my, for my church friends, they always feel like I'm too secular. And then for my secular friends, I'm too churchy. Yeah. So I think that's kind of a good place to live, actually, yeah. kind of in the middle of everybody. This book, Colt, mm-hmm. is, our, is our protagonist, yeah. right? Yeah. Narrator. Even. Main character. Yeah. First person narrator. We've got Colt. We've got, we got Noah. We've got the the mentor Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that he's a mentor. It's yeah. Okay. And like I said, being halfway through it, I haven't really gone far. There's some there's some talk about Lucas's kind of mysterious life and Lucas. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't Why don't you just kind of give us paint us a picture, or at least maybe give us an introduction into this book, if you would, Craig, just so that the listener, because obviously my hope would be that this a listener today would say, I'm going to go check that out. Like, yeah. I want to read this book. So yeah. So the book is about a a high school guy starting, it, it goes through the full year of, of senior year. It's about this guy that's kind of living a traditional high school life, parties, girls, football, that kind of thing. But once more, you know, something inside of him is kind of stirring for a, a more meaningful life. And he, he winds up crossing paths with this guy, Lucas, who is an older, very mysterious, but, but builds this kind of group of young guys and begins to lead them really through a series of these rites of passage. And I don't call them that in the book, but I would call them that outside of the book where he essentially, and the phrase that I like to think of is he's inviting them into the adventure of life. And so it's these guys who 
are kind of normal and in, in, in some ways they're, they're just looking down at what is right in front of them, which a lot of people do. And like, but sometimes you need someone to say, Hey, look up, like, like there's a lot of life out there on the horizon. And I believe that you have what's in, you have the capacity and the ability to chase it, to, to make something meaningful with your, to spend your time in a meaningful way and, and do something great with your life. And so that's really what the book is. I mean, there's, it's not, it's not an issue book. So I didn't write it with that driving the narrative. It's a mm-hmm. story. It's a fun story. Meaning it's not kind of like an after school special kind right. of. Right. I didn't, I didn't write it to say, to tell that message, but that, that, that idea of an older man leading this group of guys into a, a vision for their, for their own lives is very present throughout the whole story. Awesome. I want to read a chapter because this is, this is Lucas kind of addressing the group, yeah. speaking yeah. even to Colt, correct? Yep. One day you'll have a dream. He said, it will start as a small campfire in your heart. And over time, that fire will grow and grow and grow until it consumes your thoughts. When you go to sleep, you will dream of that fire. When you awake, you will do whatever you can to feed the flame. Your life will take shape around the dream, the choices you make, the people who come in and out of your orbit. The fire determines everything. Maybe you'll want to climb Mount Everest or find a cure for cancer, or build a cabin in the woods with your bare hands. Each of you will be called into your own journey, a sacred calling, and you must choose whether or not you will accept the invitation. And the only way to know with certainty that dream is worth chasing is that the others in your life will tell you it's too risky, too irresponsible. They'll guide you in a safer path and say, look, this is easier. They'll busy you with meaningless tasks and obligations. They'll encourage you to pursue the dream in your free time, or when you get older, they'll point at others who've set sail on stormy seas and never come home. But as we know, time waits for no one. Tomorrow, we're already dead. And the next line, Malik ripped a fart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what's funny about that passage? I went back and forth on whether to cut, to drastically cut that passage. I wrote that. That was one of the earliest things I wrote in the book. Mm. And I went back and forth in the edit. I was like, is this too long of a, a monologue? Because mm-hmm. it is a monologue. Mm-hmm. And it's like, is this, is this believable that someone would say this whole thing? But I left it. And I'm glad you read that. Because I think it's actually... And it's the insight into his motivation for why he's leading this group. So I left it against, against some readers who said, I think you should trim this down. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in the camp that says, I'm glad that you kept it because, okay. For fear of being melodramatic or whatever, you know, the music swelling in the background, but honestly, I needed to kind of get the heart of, of this man who has made a decision to go to this church's Sunday night, you know, age divided time and yeah. spend time with, with these young men, you know, to hand out leather bound notebooks to them and say, this is what you need to begin recording. This is what yeah. you need to begin sharing, you know? And, and so I want to share another scene and that is going to be, I believe it's chapter 11 when Lucas takes the boys over to the overpass. Yeah. And this is, he, one, this is one of the rites of passage. Right. Okay. That, that, I would, that I would classify as one of the rites of passage throughout the year. So, in this scene, Lucas, you know, and I think that's his priority to really kind of make a profound impact, to really get these guys to think, mm-hmm. not so much spoon feeding them his ideology, theology, just whatever way of life, but instead, just like living his life out in front of them to be as quirky as he's going to be, right? And to be as natural as he's going to be. And I think that there's a point when Colt says, you know, for all of this that I'm trying to process and get and understand, he said, I don't know why I'm attracted to this, but he said, Oh, it's, it's because it's authentic. Yeah. Like he, so he connects with Lucas because of that authenticity. So there's, I mean, there's a mentor, just stake a flag in it right there of like, 
oh yeah, that's, that needs to happen. Because I often talk about even like with ministering to skateboarders and I just feel like, you know, kids like that sarcastic and, and, and not kind of driven by the group, they're individuals. They can just kind of smell inauthenticity, you know, from a mile away so that that's important. So we kind of get that sense from Colt as well. Colt's the kind of kid who even I believe as the book begins, he, he really has an epiphany where he makes a mistake in his life Mm -hmm. and he realizes in that moment that it could have been a lot worse. And that's what kind of wakes him up yeah. to even be ready for, right? Like that kind of sets the, the tone, that kind of sets the table. I can think in my own life, you know, when did I really tr- strive to be authentic, even my faith? It was after making a huge mistake yeah. and realizing, whoa, this could have been something that I could, you know, that could have killed me and that I couldn't have bounced back from. So when we think about what it means to mentor and to invest in the life of a young person, we kind of think, goodness, we kind of wish they would all have that moment where it wouldn't be something so bad that they would make, you know, something that's irreparable as far as a mistake or injury, but that they're just brought to the point of understanding like, Hey man, this is, this is real and this is serious. Yeah. So. And what's, and, and what's interesting about that is you don't know, you're not going to know that that moment is happening in someone's life either. And so he, what, what happens in this story is he almost, he basically almost dies in a drunk driving accident or he isn't, doesn't almost die, but he, he makes a mistake in that, in that way. And he never shares that story with anybody else, but Lucas encounters him in the in the in the weeks after this this thing happens. He, he never shares that with Lucas, but you know, in your in your example or with your listeners, the kids you might engage with or the people you might engage with, like you don't know what just happened a week ago or two weeks ago or a month ago that led them to that place, and you may never know. But it could like something significant could have happened in their lives really recently, and you're that and you're kind of filling that gap that you don't even know exists. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's how we remember that God is sovereign. And so he's, he's working out the story of his, of his people. And so right. if we're called to kind of just be an investor into this young person for a semester or for a year, just knowing that there's a lot of backstory there. Right? Yeah, for sure. So this account of Lucas taking the guys to the overpass, mm-hmm. share with us kind of what, what that's about, what happens there, if you would. Yeah. So he, he, there's a few places that Lucas takes them throughout the book to sort of share, they each have a different meaning, the different places that he takes them. But one of the places that he takes them is to this overpass and they, they kind of go underneath the bridge and there are these stoops that are beneath the bridge. And basically he, he kind of shines a light on the concrete rafters that are around him. And there is this writing that was done when he was, a, when he was their age. So when he was 18, he would go down to that, that stoop and sit there and write scripture or write quotes or write ideas, things that meant a lot to him at the time. And so what he does is he takes them down there. He shows them that space. And he says, now this is your space. You know, now you come back here. It's your mission to come back here over the next week or two weeks and write what's on your heart or write, write the scripture that means a lot to you or write the, whatever it is, you know, fill these walls with the things that, that fill your heart. And so that becomes a place where throughout the year, the guys return to one by one. And even as they, even as our main character processes things as the book goes on, he'll, he'll return to that spot and kind of be surrounded by the, by the words of one of his friends and his mentor and just have a place to go and, and think and be reminded of, of these truths that, are, that he's been learning throughout the year. So I really liked this scene. And I think, again, because it, probably to a credit for you as a storyteller that you kind of, you're able to share something that almost has a cinematic quality to it, right? Yeah. Some of our favorite you know, scenes in books, just kind of, we're, we're thinking about them in terms of how they would play out in yeah. film. This for me is, is kind of that scene, but I thought, man... This is textbook. This is textbook mentoring right here. 
for one, Lucas takes the, the guys to a place that was special to him. So, I mean, that's like accessibility. Like, hey, mm-hmm. you guys are welcome. And he, he actually says, this is your sanctuary. Yeah. So, this place is sacred. This is important. And so, that, that level of, of accessibility, I think, is really important. And then the identifying to say, hey, this is, you know, when I was your age, I was here. And I'm, wel- I'm welcoming you into that space as well. So that just speaks a lot just in, its, in itself. Like yeah. that's a really, really important quality. But then as you mentioned, and I wrote this down as well, he said, now your mission is to bring, you know, what you see and what you hear and, and what, what is out there in media. And I want you guys to, to make those words eternal by, by writing them on this concrete. Like, man, that is also what I'm really all about. And I think our, our mentors are all about as well. And that is understanding that, you know, there's, there's two ways that we can do this relationship when it comes to investing in someone else. One is, one is really just kind of entertaining our mentee mm-hmm. at all times, making sure that their needs are met and that they're having a blast and just, you know, letting, letting them have fun all the time. But then there's something deeper and there's something that's more f- like a family, which is to say, hey, you know what? You guys have a job to do. And like, this is what you need to be doing. And that, you know, your mission saying that this is your homework. This is, this is what I need you guys to be mindful of and, and practicing. I think that that's a whole lot more, you know, and that's kind of what we would hope of our, of our children, right? Of our mentees even as well, is that they would understand because that speaks into their purpose to say, because what, what Colt is dealing with is, hey, who am I? I'm trying to figure out who I am. And then I'm also trying to figure out what I'm here for. Yeah. And that's, that's really what speaks into that. That's what a mentor gets to do is say, well, if I have a keen sense and awareness of who I am and what my life is, is meant to be, then my hope would be that you'd be able to kind of watch me live my life and, and figure some things out along the way as well. So yeah. I've been thinking, and, and I've been thinking about that concept a lot, just responsibility and how that, that brings a lot of joy. And the, the, the image that has been in my mind is, is this, when you hand somebody something and you say, Hey, I need you to carry this. And, and them taking that, that, that buys them into the whole, the whole vision of what you're trying to do. They're bought in, they're in it, they have something to do. And so like, here, carry this here. I need you to carry this. Like those, those words have been in my mind a lot. As I think about young men, especially they need to be told that, Hey, I need you to carry this. And you hand it to them and they take it. And now they have something that they have to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So again, young parents out there, understand like the the meaningfulness of that right because i know that i've kind of it dawned on me it clicked with my kids which it was to say like hey i need you to know that you're an important member of this family and i can do that again by meeting your every need or by saying hey do this job because when you don't do this job we all suffer from yeah. you not doing that job and that that is just an you know again not to add too much pressure to them but instead <laughs> just to say like hey you're you're valuable and also you're purposeful and so you can do this you know you can carry this you can carry this load there's just a lot of really great a lot of really good stuff there so i was really kind of happy to to read lucas sharing in that way and again with these journeys that are happening with these young people as they're trying to figure some things out and having some of that well we're not going to go really any more into that um, Craig, because I really want people, I really want them to pick this book up yeah, and to enjoy so. it as much as I am as well. Realizing that, you know, it doesn't always have to be the most literal. We shouldn't just read books about this is how to mentor, but instead just drawing from the beauty of, of good storytelling. And I think that's what you, what you allow us to have here. One Night in a Thousand Years. Tell us about where that title came from. Yes. So it's from an Emerson, it's pulled out of an Emerson quote, a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. And in the, in the story, the, the main character has this book. It's an Emerson book. It's a beat up copy. There's handwritten notes in the margins. And that's, and that's part of the, 
that becomes a big part of the story. But you know, the, the quotes throughout the book are underlined and highlighted and it's a beat up thing. And one of the quotes that stands out is, is this quote, and I, I would butcher it exactly, but it basically says, if the, if the stars came out one night in a thousand years, how would men look up and adore the city of God that had been unveiled? Some, something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it, it basically is saying, it, it's about gratitude, I think. It's about recognizing that you're in that moment right now. Like we're in our one night in a thousand years in this moment the stars are out, like look up and enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And so as the, as the book unfolds, that quote be, begins to mean that for the, the narrator. He realizes that this year has been there one night in a thousand years. And so he's, he looks back on it with that, kind of, with that kind of view, but also that kind of gratitude for what it's been. So listener, please pick up this book. You'll enjoy it. It's a quick read. It is. You know? And, and, and I love that. I love something that just kind of is a real page turner and just keeps going. Short chapters that give you a real good sense of like, man, I'm getting through this thing, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's so good. Where am I going to be able to find this book, Craig? You, your best bet's Amazon. I mean, or your easiest bet is Amazon. You can go to Amazon, type Craig Cunningham, one night in a thousand years. You will find it for sure. You can go to my website, craigscunningham.com. But I think the, the quickest route to buying it and having it is is Amazon. Awesome. Awesome. And I can read this book. I can leave a, re- a review. Yeah, that'd be, that would be really to. helpful. I've I've been trying. Okay, listen. I wrote a book, you know, as you know, because you graciously purchased my book. Yeah, that's right. And I'm so thankful for that. I've, I've had four people leave a review. Yeah. It's tough. It's actually tough. I'm, I'm glad you said it. It's really tough because I gave away... I gave away a lot of the books to friends and family, and then it's, I sold a lot by hand. Yeah. And you ask people, it's like, hey, give me a review, and then you'll get a text message. Hey, I love the book. I love this part. It's like, could you leave a review? And right. it's like, well, you can't make people leave a review. Isn't that funny? I, I discovered it was so interesting. Uh-huh. I just thought it was so interesting to say, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book, and it's going to be on paper. Mm-hmm. And so there's only 4% of the world's population reads books on paper anyway. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to take out of that 4% of the world, the world's readers, I'm going to ask those people to go back and, and write. So not only am I going to ask them to read a thing, but then I'm going to ask them to write a thing based on what they read yeah. and, and give me four or five stars or whatever. And I just thought, well, okay. And then, so that's going to be 2% of 4%. And I'm, so what it's going to mean is I'm going to have four people that will... And one of them is going to be my uncle. You know? <laughs> and the other is my yeah. mom. <laughs> you know what's... Well, I won't get into that. But it's it, the review game is a funny game, too. Okay. That sounds like something we can have a podcast for. We can probably have a side, a side yeah, combo about totally. that. Well, Craig, thank you for sitting down with me today. This has been a real gift. I can't stress enough how enjoyable this book is and how good it really is for the mentor to read. So that was, that was the express reason why I wanted to have you share about it. And looking forward to your next book. Yeah, me too. We'll <laughs> see what it is. So pick up that book, everybody. And thank you for sitting down with us and having a chat as we talk about these things that matter. We want to remind you, you can mentor.